You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Last week, uh, in preparation for this week, I might have said something along the lines of this is the kind of sermon that gets a preacher fired. And I, a lot of you have been very excited about that. Uh, and so that's made me a bit uncomfortable. It, it got me thinking about one of the times in my life when I was fired. I was uh, a college student, and I was working for a real estate appraiser. And this guy, I won't call him a gentleman, this guy liked to hire two college students, and they were always women, and typically attractive women. So I don't know how I made it past the initial screening, but somehow he hired me. And I found this out from the, the other girl that worked for him. And I just found that he was pretty rough on me, didn't seem to like me very much. I never could quite appease him. And I finally had had enough, even though I enjoyed a lot of conversations with this guy and enjoyed the things that I was learning about real estate appraiser, I, I needed to do something else. And so I was headed to have a conversation with him about how I'd found another job. And he wasn't at the office. The office was totally empty. And laying on the desk was a note that let me know that my services were no longer needed and that I could leave my key. And I just laughed out loud. I thought, this is hilarious. Thankfully, God had already provided for me a job, and he was on to hire his next person. Well, in, in this sermon, I'm going to say some things that may challenge you a bit. Last week, whenever we jumped into this story about Jesus and the disciples, he said, come follow me. And they immediately follow. Drop everything and begin following in line behind Jesus. And one thing they did not ask is, where are you going? That's what we talked about last week. They didn't ask that question. They dropped that question and they just followed Jesus. Peter, Andrew, James, and John get in line behind Jesus. And we use that as a chance to look at our mission here at First Christian, what our identification is, that we are people who follow Jesus. And so we've kind of been unpacking what mission is, where mission tells us what we do, the things that we're about. Mission tells us who we serve. And mission ought to line us up and help us get a sense of how we do those things, how we accomplish those things, which is where we're going to spend our time today, living in this legacy of First Christian where an environment has been created over the last 116 years of making disciples of Jesus. And this week, as we explore that how, we're going to get four words to kind of help us think about how we are to follow Jesus. Be, do, say, and go. But first, all right, the teaser of what might get me fired. I've got a question for you, so feel free to call out the answer to me. Why did Jesus come to earth? Anyone? To take away sin, to allow us to have a relationship with God. Somebody else, great, thank you. To spread his word. Very good. Others? 
spread the message of love. Anybody else? Why did Jesus come to earth? Going to be a little quieter in first service. That's or second service. That's interesting. You guys have been awake a while. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to look at Matthew chapter five, picking up right where we were last week, starting in verse twenty-three. And Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and sickness among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick and those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, why did Jesus come? Jesus, here's the the thing that I'm preparing you for, so I'm going to have to ask you. You've got to stick with me, right? Because I might say some things that might make you close your ears. And so I want you to stick with me. Can I see you nod your heads? Stick with me all the way through. Jesus did not come to earth to die. A lot of times that's an answer that we give, that Jesus came to die. And today, I'm inviting you to kind of entertain the notion that Jesus did not come to die. If we look at this paragraph here, Jesus doesn't say anything about dying. In fact, this is one of those summary statements that ends up being something of a filler, where people say, well, it's just a transition from the opening of Matthew's Gospel, moving into the teaching ministry of Jesus, where he's about to preach the Sermon on the Mount. But he doesn't say anything about coming to die. Instead, he shows them. He shows them why he came. They don't have to ask the question, Jesus, why did you come to earth? He shows them in this summary statement why he came to earth. So look at it closely. I find this great because the observers, these disciples, are not just asking Jesus questions here in this place. They have just dropped everything and followed him. And now they want to know what they're in for. And so they're listening and watching. And what they see is is Jesus' action in verse 23. Look at the things that he does. First off, he he went, he he goes, and then he teaches and preaches, teaches in the synagogues, and proclaims the good news of the kingdom of heaven. He's inviting people to turn their lives to repent and align themselves with the kingdom of heaven. He also cures all diseases and sicknesses. And then as he goes, that's the action, teaching preaching, curing, and going. Now in verse 24, you get something of what the response is. His fame spreads everywhere. People begin talking about Jesus. They're bringing people to Jesus. They are responding and wanting Jesus to heal and cure the people that they bring. Crowds are following. 
And what we see is something of what he's about. Now, he doesn't say anything about dying. Now, I know the wheels are turning, right? You're like, okay, this is really strange. Jesus didn't come to die. Brady, make more sense of that for me. Well, I want you to think about the words of Jesus when he talks about his purpose in other place. Whenever he says, I came to, can you hear some echoes of Scripture in your, in your ears? I came to seek and to save the lost? Luke 19. Jesus was anointed to preach good news in Luke 4, a quote from Isaiah 61, where Jesus came to bring the sword. Well, that's kind of a, a shocking one there from, from Mark 10, Matthew 10. Or he came to call sinners, lead them to repentance in Mark 2, verse 17. The Gospel of John ends up having a lot of these purpose-type statements. The oldest living apostle, the one who maybe has more to express and say about why Jesus came. He came from God in chapter 8, verse 47. He came to do God's will in chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus came as light in 1246. To be king in 1837. Right? On and on it goes. Even claiming to bring life. In chapter 6, verse 51, in, Mark, in, in uh, chapter 17, as well as other places. And maybe the more uncomfortable, John 9, 39, came to bring judgment. Now, none of these indicate that the reason why Jesus came was to die. All right, I see the wheels are still spinning. You, the jury is still out on this about whether or not this crazy statement that I'm making fits. Careful readers of Scripture will come up with at least a couple of exceptions. The two that I found are in Mark 10, where Jesus says that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. Aha, Brady, we caught you. There it is. Give his life as a ransom for many. Well, look, look closely at what he says. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, it's only natural we make the jump that that's talking about his death because we've got eyes to see it, but he's talking about giving his life. So even in the wording, Jesus is pressing us to think about the giving of his life. Well, another exception like that is in John 12. In verse 27, in this whole chapter, Jesus is talking about kind of this dialogue that he's having out loud. Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? And in verse 32 and 33, there's all this conversation about when he will be, glor be glorified and when he will be lifted up. Now, he's using double meaning. We know when he's talking about glorified and being lifted up, he's talking about his death. But there's something of a double meaning there. Using those words in a powerful and different way. Being lifted up and glorified. Okay, so why am I provoking you in this way? Why am I kind of poking at your mind? Because I want us to think about and consider that Jesus didn't just come to die. Of course. 
By God coming to the world in the form of Jesus, he knew Jesus would die. Humans die, right? That there's no logical leap to be made there. When you're going to live the life of a human, you're going to reach your end at some point. So he knew that Jesus was going to die. And Jesus, this is as your wheels are turning, you probably came up with a lot of these. Jesus predicted his own death many times, right? He predicted it with his disciples that he must die and on the third day raise again. There were even places where he foretold this publicly in the hearing of other people. Jesus knew that he was going to die. He was aware of the outcome of his life being death. But what I want you to consider is that his death is a consequence for his life. It's a consequence for the way that he chose to live his life. You see, when the reign of God comes to earth, it's going to come right up against other reigns, the reigns of human, who don't want to be told what to do, who don't want their power and authority challenged. And so you know, God knows, that when his reign comes, that death was going to be a result. The reign of God is not threatened by death. The reign of God through Jesus' life conquers death. So he knew that this would be a consequence of his living. Well, I want you to stay with me. Keep thinking about this. If death were really the sole purpose for Jesus' coming, then why didn't he get to the dying already? Why did he wait 30 years before beginning any kind of a public ministry? Why did he spend three years with people following him around? Why does he wait? Jesus chooses to go a little different path, didn't he? He could have done it quick and easy. He could have made this something of a remake of Abraham and Isaac, right? Where God commanded Abram, Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Well, this could have happened. Now stick with me here. He could have commanded Joseph or Mary to kill Jesus, maybe even as a baby, maybe on the altar in the temple, maybe even flipping over the manger. Do you see why I said this is a risky thing? We're on risky ground here. This is a thought experiment, so stay with me a bit. He could have done that quickly, but he didn't chose to invite followers to follow him. Now, again, why am I doing this? Jesus' death is very important. It provides us a new perspective that we would not have otherwise of the, the depths to which God is willing to go. It shows us the kind of God we serve, and it tells us only part of the story. Even in his death, Jesus could have stayed dead. If you think back to the sacrifices of the Old Testament, how many lambs were resurrected? It wasn't part of the equation. Or birds lifted to flight and given wings after being sacrificed. No, there's something more to this than death. Death is the weak part of this. Death is the bad and hard part of this story. There's not power in the death. 
The power is in the destruction of death by Jesus' life. That's where the power is. Jesus' life could not be contained, and it could not be contained by death. So, I'm hopeful that you're beginning to see why I'm provoking you. I'm provoking you to say what else is a reason why Jesus came. Jesus came to live. He came to bring life. That's why he waited 30 years. That's why he had an extended ministry. That's why he invited people to follow him. We tend to focus in on sin, and we tend to focus on death. But Jesus destroyed both and invites us in to see how he lives life. Death is just death without the resurrection. It's the resurrection that gives Jesus' death a power and a punch and a meaning that moves beyond the emptiness and the loneliness of death. It moves beyond that moment of death when we feel separated from God. It shows us, even in the midst of this betrayal of death, that God's life comes. So we have the life and the teachings of Jesus. We have the resurrection of Jesus that helps us see life in a new way, where God turns and renews death, and we can no longer have need to focus in on sin and death. Actually, Jesus came to bring life. And that's what makes his death so amazing. The power is not death. The power is life. Well, another reason that I, I want us to think about these things is when we look at the church in the Western world, there's a sense where it's dying. A sense where it's declining, where attendance is waning, where contributions are down. Now, I'll tell you that at first, that's an exception. We are connected, we, you are giving and serving in ways that exceed, maybe even ways that you've given in the past. And we invite you to do so more and more, to be more involved, to give more, and to serve in the kingdom of God more. That's great. We're an exception. But our world, when they're listening for a message about Jesus, the message that maybe that they're not asking is, about a dead king. They're not asking us to tell the story about why God would need to kill Jesus. They're not inviting us to explain how Jesus takes away their sin. Now they may should, right? I want them. I know that God wants to draw them into that story. But what the world needs to see is the life of Jesus Christ. Then they'll come to understand that death in a new way. The living Lord is what's most compelling about this story as he invites us to follow him and invites us into a new way to live. What the world needs to see and hear is the risen Lord living inside of you, being given full expression, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection in your life. If we're just as divisive online as our other friends, even if they're Christian, are people seeing the risen Lord? If we're as mean to the people that service our appliances as your average person, are they seeing the risen Lord? 
Are we the kind of people that are talking with our children about the risen Lord? Do they see that risen Lord in us? Do we take time to spend time praying together with our spouse? You see, it's not going to matter one iota what we think or what we believe in our heads about Jesus' death or even about a church mission statement if people cannot see it embodied in our schedules and in our lives. Why Jesus came was not just to die, but to live. And his, li his life threatened everything. That's why he died. It threatened the government. It threatened political powers. It threatened family structures. It, it threatened social orders. That's why he died. And he knew that would happen because it threatens the status quo. But death, for Jesus' life, was not a period. Death was exploded into the exclamation point of the resurrection, where Jesus launches us fuller and deeper into life. And this story, the story that we read from the end of chapter 4 in Mark's Gospel, thought sometimes as just a filler, gives us an insight to the how of how you and I can follow Jesus, of what that can look like for us. And we want to do it with four words that help us kind of think tangibly about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to say something with me here, okay? We're going to say, follow Jesus together. Are you ready? Follow Jesus. Good. Now I'm going to repeat, I'm going to say a word and I want you to repeat it after me. So, be. Do, say, go. Good. Now, <laughs> very good, thank you. I like the humor, nicely played. This provides us something of a very simple way to remember and think about what it is to follow Jesus. Something of a model, an abbreviation, that helps us reflect on what our life looks like as we follow Jesus. So I want to take some time here just to express each one briefly. B, being with Jesus everywhere we go. Or we don't enter the meeting except by following Jesus into that meeting. Even if that meeting's on a screen. We follow Jesus into the classroom, even if that's a series of windows on our screen. We follow Jesus into our workplace. We are imagining that every moment of our life is with Jesus in the kingdom of God. And we welcome him, invite Jesus to live our lives with us. This is what happened with the disciples when they responded to that call to follow. This is what happened with crowds as they follow after Jesus. This is being with Jesus wherever we go. Say. Saying the things that Jesus said means that we proclaim and teach the things that he spoke about. And he gave it in a verse. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, we get the message, and it's a message of repentance, of turning your life into the kingdom of God. The good news message is that God's reign is available. And that's the message that we share. If we're following Jesus, we're going to be sharing that message. Next week, I'll talk a little bit about the difference between teaching and preaching. But for now, this second word, 
saying the things that Jesus said. Third, doing the things that Jesus did. This one's a little more intimidating. Because in Matthew chapter 4, what we see Jesus doing is curing people, healing people. So it might be intimidating even for the most long-standing disciple to say, well, well, how did that happen? Well, we are a people that believe in healing. We have seen healing take place. Lawrence Garcia is a witness for this. Shea Romero. These are moments in our church history where we see the healing hand of God. There have also been moments in our church history where even coming up on anniversaries of people that we have lost who have not had that healing. Well, Jesus pushes. Jesus is bigger than death. And he reframes this doing to be about how we're working against evil in all its forms in the world. So definitely health, but also when we look and we see that people are not housed appropriately, or they're not receiving an education that they need, or they don't have the job that they have. How is it that we, in our life, with the things that we can control, can work against the forces of evil and do the things that Jesus did? Finally, going. Going where Jesus goes. And you might quickly say, well, that sounds kind of like being. Is that any different from being with Jesus? Well, remember that being is thinking about I'm constantly with Jesus wherever I go. Well, Jesus is someone who's on the move. Have you noticed how he's always headed to the next town? He's always uh, chasing frontiers that are out ahead of him. If we're to be following Jesus, it will not leave us always in our comfortable and settled, buckled down, established places. Sometimes God calls us to go, to be on the move, to, to serve him in new ways. In fact, by having these things, be, do, say, go, it helps us to think about maybe an area that we might be stronger in. Maybe you're a person who's a really good servant. You don't want to do a lot of that talking stuff, but you're going to do. That's great. Are there ways that you could grow in the other areas? Maybe you're someone who's a talker. You know, most all of what you do is about teaching. Well, okay, can you couple that with action? Can that be seen in the ways that you are living? It provides a way to stretch us, to give us a checkup, and to see how we're spiritually growing. At First Christian, we are a group of very real people. We've got weaknesses. In fact, our weaknesses are probably some of the ways that might make us most relatable to other people, where they see us as genuine, and they know that we're struggling right alongside of them, and we need one another in order to make it through this life. Well, I think as I close, I've got to mess with you one more time. I don't know if you felt like I've done enough to get fired today, and I, I know I've kind of joked about that, and I shouldn't, and I joked about your excitement at, at that. I think that comes from a mentality of, hey, he's going to say something that matters. And this is something that matters. Well, in evangelism, there's a question that gets used. Perhaps it's been thrown at you. Perhaps you've used it or had it used on you. And it's a common question. And it's meant to kind of present a dilemma where you have a choice to make. And here's the question. If you died tonight, do you know where you would go? Right? Have you heard this before? Maybe some variation of this. 
If you died tonight, where would you go? Well, it's a question that's meant to make kind of an obvious choice. Of, well, I, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. And, you know, it, it might work in some settings, but in a lot of ways, it doesn't. Because other people might say, well, I don't know where I'm going to go. I guess I'm going to go to sleep tonight. Or if I died, maybe I would go to the morgue. They don't think past this life. Several years ago, I picked up a book, and what was most helpful about that book was a question that was posed on the back flap. The book, eh, it wasn't all that great. wasn't too much in it. But the question has hung with me for years. And the question is this. What if you knew that you were going to live tomorrow? That just caught me. Because it made me think of my life not in terms of death, but in terms of right now. What if we knew we were going to live? And that's gotten me thinking for a long time about why is it that our starting place ends up being death with someone who's outside the Christian faith? How about our starting place be life? If what God is offering is life in Jesus Christ, life in the kingdom of heaven, then why not start there? That puts the burden on us in our life right now that we'll live in a way that stands out. That we won't just be passive, waiting for God to do something in the great by and by, but we'll be active right now. I believe that Jesus didn't just come to die. He came to live. And we ought to start living our lives in that way following behind Jesus today, following behind this risen Lord who's destroyed death and walked to the other side, who invites us to see our life in a different way, where we can be everywhere we go with him, where we can do and imitate the things that he did, and where we can say the simple message that he asked us to say, invite people into the kingdom of heaven. And then, he will invite us to go on journeys that right now we cannot imagine. He will invite us into the future that is God's future. Let's pray. God, you are the God of life. You've breathed this world into existence with your word, and you've breathed each one of us into existence. And so today, Father, we ask that you Invite us to live, to live following Jesus, being everywhere we are with you, doing the things that Jesus did, saying the things he said, and going to places where only he can lead us. God, thank you for being a God ever-present with us. And we pray all this through Jesus' name. Amen.